can't go down Magnolia Lane, we'll go down Memory Lane in a moment with our golf buddy, Tim Sheridan. We can't just not have on Tim Sheridan during Masters Week, even though there's no Masters. And we'll do that in one moment. What's the best Masters of all time? Last year's Tiger or Jack in 86? I don't think really there's much of a debate that those are the two best. Uh, But just got some kind of news. You know, it's more of that this has been reported, this is being speculated, perhaps reckless speculation, but enough to where it's fun to talk about for a second or two. And you know me, Craig, I love talking sportscasters and commentators. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who would I like to have dinner with? Yes. No, no, no. Well, who I like having uh, analyzing my games, if they're annoying or not, or if they're brilliant or not. I actually like to learn about football from some of these guys. And Troy Aikman teaches me nothing, but Chris Collinsworth does. And again, I'm in the minority here. People seem to not like Chris Collinsworth and find him annoying. I don't know if it's his voice or I love it when people say, oh, he thinks he knows everything. That's his job to know everything and for you to know more. And I think he's terrific, and that's why he's been on the biggest game of the week for over a decade. And uh, this comes from James Palmer, at James Palmer TV on Twitter, a national reporter for NFL Network. So we're not screwing around here. He says, whenever Drew Brees decides to retire, it's waiting for him. NBC's plan is for him to be groomed as the potential replacement to Chris Collinsworth. On Sunday night football. Now, why that wouldn't be Peyton Manning, I'm not sure. Still waiting for Peyton Manning to do one of those gigs because I think he'd be really good at it. And uh, you never know until they get on the mic, though. Joe Montana was just a a blockhead, you know. Just because you're Joe Montana doesn't mean you're going to be great on TV. But Drew Brees instead of Chris Collinsworth, how do you feel about that? Sunday. Well, I know uh, he's he'd also be doing uh, Notre Dame football. Um, what uh, what I'm seeing as well, and he had a choice. Uh, Monday night football wanted him. Uh, Sunday night football wanted him. Um, I mean, there's a way to use Drew Brees uh, in a role in the studio until Chris Collinsworth doesn't want to do it anymore. Anymore, maybe. Um, you know, he's got. Do you think this is his last year in the NFL? I do. I think this is it for Drew Brees. Um, you know, does he have two years left in him? Sure, I think he does. Um, I am surprised they signed him, though. I think it was a, a surprise looking forward and moving forward that when Drew is done, he's going to be in the booth. Which yeah. you know, I'm looking forward to that. But sure. I like Collinsworth too. Yeah, I don't I, think they'll make it a three-person booth. Um, that would be kind of awkward, especially with two guys who've been working to with each other for so many years. And by the way, Drew Brees is signing with NBC. So he's like signing something here. I guess it's an agreement whenever he's done playing. And uh, he will do this instead of ESPN. I mean, Al Michaels was on Dan Patrick today and claimed he knew nothing of, of the possible trade NBC and ESPN was going to do with him. Of course, he's been traded before as an announcer from, uh, from Monday night to Sunday night years ago. But anyway, so NBC beats out the four letters. So Drew Brees is a hot commodity. And again, these guys who haven't ever done this before, they could be gold right away like Tony Romo, or they could be total flops like Jason Witten. Just because you think America likes a guy, uh, you never know. But you know, it, it feels like Drew Brees would be a surefire hit. Um, yeah, throw him on those Notre Dame games, get used to doing it, and then... Yeah. Move to Sunday night. Uh, very likable guy, and that is part of the business in doing those hirings is likable. That's why Craig hired me, because I'm so likable to everyone out there. 
Yeah, that was the uh, top of the list. <laughs> I think it was, you needed a warm body. Can you, do you speak English? Do you have a pulse? Last one to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's the big broadcasting news today. You know, we could do the whole segment we've done before about the dream team that you'd love to see calling NFL games, especially Monday night. They still can't figure it out on Monday night football. Um, I, I love, uh, I'd love Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner to just move from the radio to TV on Monday nights. A lot of people like Kevin Kugler. And uh, I think Tariko's going to take over for Al someday. But there you go. There's your news. I don't really want to talk more much about it. I want to talk golf. I want to get our fix. Um, and uh, it was just one year ago uh, this weekend. Guess who's back, 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 back again. I'll be back in the high life again. I'm back, baby! I'm back! And in! He has done it! Tiger is back! Tiger is back on top! Tiger Woods, the 2019 Masters Champion! One of the great comeback stories in American sports history! Masters number 5, Major number 15, and Augusta National roars like never before! And near the spot where he hugged his dad when he won in 97, he hugs his son 22 years later. It comes full circle. I never thought we'd see anything that could rival the hug with his father in 1997. But we just did. That will be the greatest scene in golf forever, Jim Nance. That was hug with his children. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, and if you're a parent, you're not human. Now, the, the whole euphoria of everything, the patrons, his emotion, the chanting, we will never see anything as exhilarating as that. <laughs> I think Nick Faldo had to be more specific there, Craig. We'll never see anything as exhilarating as that. That was pretty soupy. Not the birth of our children or, uh, you know, our children's marriages or the birth of their children. Nope. Nope. Not not uh, the Great Barrier Reef or any of the other wonders of the world if we ever get lucky enough. Now, not uh, Monte Picchu or wherever that place is in South America. Nope. Most exhilarating thing ever, Tiger Woods. I think he met in sports or maybe at Augusta. And he said it was the, you'll never see a scene like that again. He wasn't calling it the best ever, but it might have been the best. I think it was the best story ever of a Masters title, considering every, all the ingredients in it. 
They still, you know, was it the best Masters ever? Uh, I still go Jack in 86 because it came out of nowhere, and it was such a bolt of lightning the way Jack well, Nicklaus Tiger played. was out of nowhere last year. I mean, a lot <laughs> of folks didn't think he was going to do it. No, actually, Craig, if you remember, he really wasn't because he, he, he was in the lead with nine holes left in the British Open the year before, and then he was going blow for blow with uh, Brooks Kepka at the PGA, and then he won the Tour Championship. So he was one of the best golfers on the planet and a, couple, a few top ten heading into the Masters. I mean, Jack was just basically, his clubs were, 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 were rusty. But, um, you know, it was exciting. In both cases, a bunch of other really good golfers uh, kind of cowered down the stretch when they knew Tiger was, was catching fire. So uh, let's go down Magnolia Lane and our golf buddy here on Craig and John. We could not keep him out of, the, of, of, the, of Masters Week here on KWSN. He's Tim Sheridan. Hi. Hi, Tim. Hey, guys. Yes. Good to be with you. Yes. Thank you for your patience there. No uh, problem. That was fun to listen to. Well, that good. Was exhilarating. Yeah, it was great. That's why we play those kind of things. Um, I'm, an Al My- I'm an Al Michaels fan ever since the 19- – I'm going to age my 50-something self here. Yeah. Ever since the 1980 Olympic call, I- I'm, a- I'm an Al Michaels fan. Man. So, uh, there's, my- there's my two cents worth on, Man, the-, 50, on the football deal. 50-something. What a dinosaur, Craig. Gee. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you feel sorry for him? <laughs> I do. Uh, by the way, yeah, he looks better. I than, know what's coming. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 41, and the guy looks better than me. He's in better shape. So, uh, nice try. But no, I've gained. Well, listen, I've gained the COVID 19. Oh, so yeah. don't worry. Oh <laughs> boy. Yeah, we all have. Refrigerator's yeah. never too far away. Um, are you? Uh, so you're a big golf guy. Tim Sheridan, by the way, has been a golf pro at some of the best courses here in the Sioux Falls area and past college golf coach at the University of South Dakota. Um, And he's our analyst. So have you been watching a lot of old golf? I know the Golf Channel has been making it available. Well, ESPN this week has been great. Yesterday and today they're playing final round uh, or past final rounds. Right now they're they're, they're showing uh, 2013 when uh, Adam Scott and Angel Cabrera, you know, dueled it out coming down the stretch and went into extra holes. And, of course, uh, the Aussie finally put Australia on the map, um, you know, with, you know, in the Masters, something that, that, you know, we all remember Greg Norman and his struggles uh, at Augusta or, or, or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, uh, at Augusta. So it's been fun to see Scott Van Pelt on ESPN and Andy North, who I know is uh, near and dear to a lot of people in Sioux Falls with uh, the Sanford International, um, you know, still make sure that they're making the Masters part of their coverage this weekend because it's such a big part of it year in and year out that, that they're st- still taking time to talk not just golf but, but talk about the Masters and show these old final round. Uh, and, and they're showing a complete final round, which is great. It's not just highlights. It's not just an hour. I mean, it's on all afternoon. So if you want to get your Masters fix, if you want to get your, your golf fix, if, if, like me, the Masters, you know, like, baseball's opener every year is kind of the rite of passage from winter into spring and summer. If you're missing that and you still want to get it, you know, you can still get a taste of it on, on ESPN. It's been fun to watch it. Well, we know that it's not going to go away. We're hoping to have it in November. What's going to be the biggest difference having the Masters this fall, at least when it comes to the course itself? That's a great question. I don't know how different the course will be in November from from uh, April, but but obviously that's the first thing that comes to mind is how does 
you know, after the Masters every year, they shut Augusta down and they do all their maintenance and, and, and the golf course doesn't get played on uh, until they open it up for the members, you know, the, the following fall. So what, I, what, what kind of condition will the golf course be in? What is it going to offer to the players that's different than what they're used to in April? Because unlike other majors, uh, this tournament every year gets played the same time on the same golf course. You know, and if you're a guy that's been on tour and has been able to qualify and be in the Masters several times, you're coming back to a place that you're, you're pretty familiar with. You're just hoping that you can get your game to a place um, – that, that lends itself to that golf course during that time of year. So what's it going to be like in November? I think that's the big, the big question that everybody wonders and probably the guys on tour as well because nobody's used to playing at them. But I think what we can get that we always get is, well, first of all, Augusta will find a way to uh, clone azaleas so they'll be able to grow and be displayed yeah. as they would be in the spring. Yeah, they'll force them up. I mean, they've, you know. No leaves. Yeah, no that's, leaves on the, on the course like at all. The, no They'll sub air them up. Yeah, like the University yeah. of Nebraska Athletic Department, they have an they have an, just an endless supply or reservoir of of slush funds for literally yeah. things like this. But anyway, uh, look, it is Augusta. It, the, the reason why it is to me, you can you can give me this, uh, Tim. The most popular golf major is a. It's the only one that's at the same place every year. It is such a. It is. It is not only the. You know the regal beauty aesthetically. I mean, after a while, just looking at a garden isn't that interesting for four days. Uh, but it is nice. But it's the golf. It's it's these dramatic holes like thirteen and fifteen, where eagles could be made or double bogeys could be made, and tournaments can right. be decided. And it's it's the most. Ex- it's usually the most exciting tournament of the year. And I just don't even November. Even if their games are in a different sort of shape or state than they normally would be in April, so what? It's it's one of the most elite fields in golf, so you're probably going to get people you've heard of chasing after the green jacket, and uh, and they're good enough that they're going to be hitting some spectacular shots for spectacular theater. It doesn't matter what the calendar says, right? And it's going to be interesting, I think, just from a um, you know kind of a housekeeping issue. How many how many tournaments are they going to get to play leading up to the Masters? How are they going to figure qualifying for it. I mean, with uh, you look at the PGA Tour schedule right now, and I think almost till the end of May, every tournament is canceled. And nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring or next week is going to bring with this thing we're dealing with. Um, and so how does the PGA Tour's calendar get affected? What does that do to, you know, the, the, the rankings and guys that may qualify or not qualify? You know, how many events are they going to be able to play? It's going to be interesting to watch how the tour and, and how Augusta and how the Masters tournament figure all that out, too. Uh, but you're right. Once it's time to tee it up at Augusta, uh, I, I don't think it matters when it is. Uh, the, the regalness of Augusta National and that tournament um, is going to be great. I also agree with a comment you just made, John, in that you know sometimes after the Masters is over, it almost feels like a letdown every year, even though our golf season is just getting started up in this part of the country. Because we do look so forward to that event, and we look forward to the field, and we look forward to the beauty of Augusta National. Um, so it does carry something with it, I think, in April. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how it carries that through, or if it can carry that through. I think it probably can, you know, in November. But it's, it's, it's all unknown, and it's going to be fun to watch. 
He's our golf analyst and the co-host of the now defunct KWSN Golf Show. <laughs> or is it? Or can we just call it on hiatus? It's been a long hiatus. Yeah. That's up to yeah, Craig. We're on, we're on hold. Yeah, uh, we're fur, we're furloughed. Tim, there you go. Tim Sheridan joining us. We're quarantined. The show has been we're quarantined. quarantined. Yeah, um, yeah. Craig, anything else for Tim? Well, I was going to talk about you know the 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 best masters that we've seen. I would love to know what your qualifications would be for the best, because we know that Phil and Jack and and Tiger are all going to be there amongst the top ones. Is it a fuzzy Zeller when he won it as a rookie, or was it a playoff, or was it a first timer? What what, could, what do you consider a great Masters? Maybe a top five Masters. When I think of the when I think of that question and the answer to that question for me in my era. You know, I go to some obvious ones. Um, you know, eighty-seven or eighty-six with um, with Nicholas. I go to ninety-seven with Tiger and sort of his breakout and first African American, and you know, just where that launched him and his career and what a, it did, what it what it did, what it did for golf. It's a record you know? breaker. I believe he broke the scoring record, and so it's literally the best Masters performance ever and big, biggest marginal win. What's crazy about that too? A lot of people don't remember his opening nine. He shot forty. That's right. On his opening, I came back to win that tournament the way he did. So I mean, for a lot of reasons, that Tiger last year uh, is another one. I remember the the uh, the Greg Norman meltdown when Faldo, who is a great analyst now that we all like to listen to, you know, with Jim Nance came back from uh, he was six shots uh, off the lead. In the final round, I almost didn't watch it because I didn't think there was any chance that Norman was going to lose and Faldo comes back, you know, and beats him. So that one sticks in my mind. And then if you're, if you're a Greg Norman fan, what he did for golf, the great white shark, you know, Larry Mize, a local Augusta native, chips in on him and, 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 and steals it from him that year. But you can go back, you know, one of the best golf historians and statisticians I know is John Gaskins. And, and, I, you know, you, you go back to, Arnold Palmer birdied 17 and 18 to win the Masters back in the 60s, I, I believe. And that was never, that, that had never been done. I'm not sure it's ever been done since. Charles Schwartzel birdied the last four in 2011. So if you want to talk okay. about like the best four-hole finish, but no one had heard of him. And, um, yeah. I mean, there have been some great ones. My, and, you know, the Mize thing was memorable. I'd say that's the most exciting finish because that was a playoff against Norman and Seve, who is one of the best players on the planet. And, yeah, the, the chip-in, because he was a hometown boy and he was a total unknown underdog, the uh, literal Cinderella story. And, yeah. uh, and it looked like he kind of it looked like he chunked it actually. Yeah, he did. It did. <laughs> a, and, and 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 who doesn't love the bold striped purple shirt that he had that's on right. too? Right. You know, it was fantastic. Yeah. So so uh, it's great. I think that's the most exciting shot or finish to win the Masters. Uh, yeah. You know, but the the best stories have been. Nicholas in 86. I think Nicholas in 86 is the best ever because it had a combination. He was beating, he beat all the best players in the world at the time. Tom Kite, Greg Norman, Seve Ballesteros, Tom Watson, Tommy Nakajima. Uh, um, I know Sandy Lyle was playing with him that day, but like some, some of the best players on earth and they all fell to their knees when the roars started to, um, reverberate all around Augusta. And he, like, you know, the Eagle at 15, the shot, nearly acing 16. And then, of course, the birdie on 17, which is maybe the most famous putt in golf history or at least modern golf history, uh, that Vern Lundquist called. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, he, that, that was underdog out of nowhere, old legend. I think the Tiger's story is a little better than Jack's because of all, of all the self-inflicted things Tiger put him through and that he almost quit golf. And it was kind of a, redeem, a redemption story, which some people don't like. Some people just still think he's a snake and... You know, yeah. it, it, but it's, yeah. but I never liked Tiger. I never rooted for Tiger a whole lot, um, and I you know I certainly didn't I didn't care for him as a person. Didn't know him, but didn't seem to care for him as a person. But I still couldn't help like just to put yourself in his shoes. How amazing that was to win that. I mean, that was an I, oh my I, god, this is happening sort of thing. Yeah, I appreciate him. I always appreciated Tiger, and I still do for his golf. I mean, for what he. The, the way he played, the ability that he had. I mean, you could argue Tiger was the greatest, it, it is uh, the greatest golfer of all time. I think Nicholas was the greatest champion golfer of all time. But you could argue, to, I argue, and I think a lot of people would. That, and, and so that's what I enjoyed so much about Tiger, and to think that he, he thought, not just the rest of us, but he thought he may never play golf again in his life. And then to come back and do what he did last year, I mean, you, that story is amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who would have won uh, if we played uh, this weekend? I don't know, but I, I know I had the right pick for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're just no saving idea. it for November. You know, it's it, it's it's been it's been so weird that it's been. I haven't even really gone there in my mind. You know, Tiger says if you if you read and keep up with all the stuff online, and I've tried to a little bit. You know, he says he was healthy and he was ready to go. You know, who knows? Um, you know, who would have come in there and won? There's so many good young hot players now on tour. It would have been a fun Masters to watch just because Tiger was the defending champion and and to see all of that that went along with that. And then how does the tournament play out? You know, with all that going on. You know, one of the things I miss the most because I've got an 11 year old son and he's really turned the corner and is into golf now. I missed watching the drive, chip, and putt. Hmm. All these kids that work so hard. You know, coming up through their local drive, chip, and, and putt qualifiers and then going into their regional qualifiers and making it to national qualifiers and getting to go to Augusta National and to watch those kids do that in those different age groups the Sunday before the Masters tournament, it's one of the highlights of the Masters for me. It's emotional for me to watch that. Mm. And, and so all of the little side stories and things that go along with the Masters tournament, that being a, a big one that I missed, but the women's amateur, they were going to have the second women's amateur uh, Augusta tournament, which was so fun to watch last year with Jennifer Kupcha winning that uh, coming down the wire by a couple of shots and, and to see how that played out again, to watch the young ladies come and play Augusta again and see how that played out. So the par three tournament, we don't get to watch them skip the ball, like, you know, across the pond and <laughs> their little kids in their white caddy outfits carry the bags for their dads and yeah. the clubs for their dads and yeah. all of that that goes along with it. I mean, we talk about the tournament itself and, and, the, and the tour players, but all that other stuff is stuff that I love getting into as much as I, I, I do watching the tournament. Man. I had that, there you go. Yeah, a little late on the music there for you. I should have had that, that playing be, underneath. That should, that, that should be my ringtone. That was, that's right. <laughs> that was a little too excitable for that music. You have to take it down a notch, but I love the, I'd rather, I'd rather have your passion there, Tim. Enjoy the weekend and watching what they provide, and uh, we'll, we'll find an excuse to talk off with you soon. Hopefully we see each other on a golf course real soon, yeah. and you guys stay safe. Everybody out there, stay safe. There he goes. Tim, Tim Sheridan, our golf analyst, past golf pro at uh, the Falls, Grand Falls, and uh, Country Club of Sioux Falls. And by the way, 75, Jack Nicholas. that's among the Mount Rushmore of all-time masters, uh, outdueled Tom Watson and Tom Weiskopf. 
Uh, that's one of your options. You can vote. We have a poll question. Best Masters ever. Last year, Tiger, 86 Jack, 75 Jack, 97 Tiger. I don't think there's much dispute about the, those four options. And by and a great one is 2004 Phil Mickelson, who had you know come so close and hadn't won a major. That was his first one, right? Yeah, and he, he yeah. hadn't won a major. He came second was, in so many times. Yeah, there was so much drama and mm-hmm. build up that year for him. Yep. I mean, they built it up so much that here's here's a guy that's never won it, never yeah. won it, and then. He gets to the final day, and he was hitting some fabulous shots. Yep. Now, uh, that's the uh, the highest he's ever jumped, I believe. That's right. He's never jumped any higher since. Two inches, yes. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, and it was a great call by Jim Nance at long, when the ball goes in the hole. At long last. Um, it was really cool because he had been a bridesmaid and a choker up until that point of his career, and uh, he outdueled uh, David Duvall and Ernie Els. That was a that was a classic as well, and that will be on Sunday in Tiger's 2019 victory. Those will be the final rounds they'll show on CBS over the weekend, and they'll show an hour long 75 highlights show on uh, Saturday at 1:30. All right, that's our Masters fix, Craig and John. Uh, how about our Husker Spring Fling with Sam McEwen? of the Omaha World Herald and how much not having spring football will hurt the Huskers, especially at the hotly contested quarterback position. And we are just over a half hour away from episode two of the Can't Miss Old Guy Trivia Game here on Fox Sports 98.1, AM 1230, and KWSN. Follow the show. Respond to the show. Vote in our polls and get the latest sports news on Twitter. Go to twitter.com slash KWSN Sports.